Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Bonjour, Pete. I guess I can't expect a junkie to know when to quit. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 301, a.k.a. chapter 1. The Next Generation, comes to you now via subspace frequency Myriad Kodak. And just a bit of fleet news before we head into the episode, Pete. Across the universes tomorrow on Marvel Monday, we will be talking Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, the threequel that people are enjoying, even though the critics said you shouldn't. Yeah, it's amazing this... I don't think it's an organized effort, but just like, oh, let's see if we can crap on a movie that I haven't spoken to a person yet who hasn't enjoyed it. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to bringing you our thoughts on that. Get us your thoughts before then. Uh, Pete, looking ahead to next weekend, in addition uh, to, of course, podcasting uh, the next episode of Picard, we'll be doing one final Mandalorian Season 3 preview. Uh, that'll be on Saturday, February 25th, ahead of The Mandalorian's return the following week. Uh, and as I've noted before, Pete, the prospect of two space daddies out there in their respective <laughs> universes uh, shows week to week, not battling, but working perhaps in concert. Yes, as The Last of Us uh, Season 1 runs out as well. But uh, Mandalorian, the, the big one here, Matt, you know, we go from Picard to Marvel to the big daddy of Star Wars. I mean this in terms of pop culture attention lavished on these right now. Not, of course, how I would rank them in my heart. But to bring it back to Star Trek Picard, Matt, uh, how did they build that Titan Bridge Engineering Division, Matt? Yes, some press this week in which, you know, uh, unenthusiastic, I would suppose, reporter was dispatched to talk with production designer Dave Blass and others about them building it, this brand new bridge and so forth, despite the fact that it was, you know, built for the last season of Picard as the Stargazer Bridge. Still looks wonderful. I mean, they could turn the lights up a little bit. I'm assuming that's going to be like a, a later in the season thing when the darkness on the Titan has lifted and all of that. But uh, yeah, this is a set from last season. I mean, if you want to say, well, in terms of production, I don't know when in the second season it was built. It could have been finished a week before the start of season three, which was the end of season two. And maybe they did all those episodes wrap around and so forth. But uh, yeah, this an existing set that we saw twice last season. I think a little disingenuous and granted asked this. They're not going to be like, yeah, you know, the bridge we built for the Stargazer for season two that Matt is best I can tell. They've made the, uh, you know, observation lounge directly behind not a feature of the previous set. Uh, and this whole thing about it being bigger than, you know, previous TV and film sets, yet at the same time, Matt, uh, streaming slowdown because of costs? Well, definitely a streaming slowdown across all the streamers in terms of 
um, them realizing what I think we all knew in our heart of hearts, which is if you make a bunch of stuff that uh, no one watches, that that takes away from the budgets for stuff that people would watch. And now it's time to be a little bit more careful and concerted with curating your streaming service, uh, particularly in this calendar year when Paramount has said Paramount Plus will lose money this year. So hopefully the crown in the Paramount jewel continues to shine, uh, whatever the future might be for the streamer, nay, for the company. But that's a future mission, Pete. Let's head now into our mission briefing. The Titan A Star Trek Universe card debuts here, giving way to an additional card in the 25th century, a Wrath of Khan callback, of course, um, in concert with the Next Generation movies musical cue there, uh, their best theme, I think, uh, curated from that before the ship we eventually come to know as the Helios hangs in space as it's advanced on by another ship. Inside, there are recognizable flowers, a pearl necklace draped on drama masks, the best of both worlds, uh, log entry by Captain Picard plays. Later, there's one from Encounter at Farpoint, and a plaque from an unseen mission from the next generation days to core Carololi five, uh, where Dr. Crusher was named an honorary citizen, uh, as well as a prominently lit, uh, case of Lieutenant commander Jack Crusher before warning alerts, uh, prompt Dr. Beverly Crusher, uh, to rise up from her cot due to a security breach, they've been found. Pete, I would like to propose that the Jack Crusher to whom you are referring, uh, he whose death widowed the former Beverly Howard, uh, Beverly Crusher, of course, I'd like to propose that we refer to him uh, just for now, just to j- just for safety's sake, we refer to him as maybe jack crusher senior and maybe we'll just circle back to the the naming nature of things later on um but indeed dr crusher in action calling for the computer to activate the warp drive uh conspicuous pete we hear a very british and unseen crew member locked behind the door crew member as i write in my notes because that's what it calls out on the subtitles crew member if only there were press materials naming this guy. I don't know. Maybe later in the episode we'll discuss a, a different name that he could have, this junior fellow here. Um, but Crusher further prepping to leave, pushing the buttons and so forth, gets a phaser rifle handy. Uh, we hear that, uh, that uh, the ship is about to be boarded. And uh, indeed, masked baddies arrive. Pete, that's a great Star Trek way to make sure you don't know exactly who they are, their background, and so forth. Fun firefight. Uh, Crusher's phaser cell is depleted. I'm sure there will be nerd rage referring to the Star Trek Next Generation technical manual about how such a thing shouldn't happen. But you know what? Sometimes story got a story. Uh, And she gets winged. And as Pete, she gets pulled back by the, the phaser fire there was an opportunity i mean yes i should be concerned about 
this character who's been in my life since 1987 and why she's on why she, you know why things are happening and so forth but of course pete i'm a star trek fan so i'd like to take a moment to say the coat she's wearing uh the neck of it yes. uh very evocative of the star trek 2 style away team coat what character in jeopardy let's talk about the history of coats in star trek yeah <laughs> uh catching again that blast there to the right shoulder um then dodges super heavy fire to uh vaporize one of the assailants vents that gas after seeing her reflection uh and then surprises the other by first hitting him in the leg and then as Riker will uh, detail later on, coolly, efficiently vaporizing with the kill shot from above to leave Ash, question mark. Uh, but there is another wound on her left side from which she is bleeding and crew member demands, let me out before uh, the Ilios says one minute to warp with more of them on the way it's at this point that dr crusher records the subspace frequency myriad kodak for admiral jean-luc picard the two ships warp in the dock one uh falls away as the Ilios escapes and takes us into our title card we get the new look blue picard logo pete I sure feel lucky that we've updated our podcast logo uh, to have blue. And that was done well in advance of anyone seeing these episodes, at least anyone that I know of. Uh, and we are told here, part one, the next generation, Pete, we're so far in the future. They don't call them episodes anymore. Okay. Uh, and also no lengthy credits this time. I'm going to save those for the end. Um, quick tangent. I would be fascinated to know if there's, streaming data to suggest like if you have credits how many people stop watching i'm not saying that's a good reason to stop watching at all i'm just wondering when you have millions of views of a thing what do credits do if you have the inclusion of a button that says you know uh, skip credits what does that look like again just wondering maybe a creative maybe this is more than a purely creative decision maybe it's a technical decision as well a viewership decision but but pete take us into the close-up uh, of a painting as we get a new old character introduced new old for the first time yet again the enterprise d hangs on the wall in the study of chateau picard as he and his lady love of about a year look on uh this of course laris um she the enterprise d wasn't his first love but he remarks his favorite uh and there's also no spring cleaning on romulus matt um so rather than have it fixed up he wants to give it to jordy laforge who sits this episode out but is running the fleet museum we'll put a pin in that until we take a deep dive on the closing credits for this episode um tells a young man to take it down off the wall and pack it up, but Laris tells him not to dare. They are preparing to go to Chaltok 4, which comes from uh, the third episode 
of Voyager, Matt, that uh, Terry Matlis was a production assistant first with, uh, where she is going to be setting up diplomatic security, and he will sip sorry and brandy and think about writing his memoirs. A um, little bit of recap now that he's committed to settling down with her, that he doesn't need to tell her or prove that he's ready for this and that his past does matter. Uh, but he says things like his Resican flute here that he holds up are mementos of dear friends. He's not a man who needs a legacy and he craves a new season three adventure. Indeed. This episode, uh, in a certain sense, operating as a re re-pilot for the show um i'm glad that we have things established like laris is a romulan because i really suspect i joking aside re-pilot joking aside i genuinely think that they are aware the people making the show are aware that this might be the first episode of star trek picard that people are seeing um yes. so establishing those things are important his picard's you know think of all that this seed uh, scene does it's the relationship between Picard and Laritz, but I would also argue, Pete, aside from the kiss, it's being toned down because clearly Picard's going out for another adventure. It's not, you know, and let me bring my girl along and oh, no, she's hurt. Like, in fact, if anything, Pete, there's there's going to be another gal featuring in the story and all of that. Um, but again, so much of this about setting up the season and for many people setting up the series as Picard says he wants a new adventure. Yes. From there, Matt, uh, that night, an alert chimes, but the computer is unable to determine its location. Picard rummages through boxes and eventually finds his old comm badge uh, in a little bag uh, with his uniform. Um, the computer starts to explain that uh, Stardate 4115 uh, but it is detecting an encrypted long-range transmission via subspace frequency containing an uncommon codec requiring a password. But why would someone send a message to a more than 20-year-old com badge? And Myriad, which seems to ring a bell for Picard, triggering him to enter the passcode Picard 47 Alpha Tango, of course, seen in the Next Generation movies. That, of course, first contact. Um, it is a hologram of Beverly Crusher uh, that she has encoded with coordinates and the phrase Hellbird, repeat Hellbird. No Starfleet on this one, Jean-Luc, trust no one before she falls dramatically at the end of the message indeed pete trust no one the truth is out there x-files crossover confirmed question mark <laughs> traveling back in time to be a ufo that Mulder and scully see maybe you never know um as she said though pete trust no one so in the next scene picard is trusting laris uh, pete i'm not really not starfleet so not, that is true. She's not Starfleet. Um, she, in fact, you might not know it. I mean, I know she references her her security background and so forth, but her, you know, major Romulan uh, security background and all of that. Um, 
Picard trusts her. Uh, Picard, uh, pardon me, Laris notes that Beverly was injured. Um, Picard adding that they haven't spoken for, 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 for 20 years. Heck, none of the old gang has. He names some of them. Um, she just cut him off, cut them all off. Uh, Laris asks, didn't they try to be lovers once? Lovers. Uh, Picard uh, scoffs at it and highlights no Starfleet. Pete, it's like the first time love is asked and he denies it. Let's stick a pin in that for later because I think eventually the love will, will issue forth by the end of the episode, or at least rather proof of the love, etc. Um, Laris sees, you know, here she identifies herself as a former intelligence officer. If it's your first episode and you want to find out more about that background, check out the first two seasons. Uh, but but Laris sees that Beverly's a woman out of options, no choices, showing true fear, not paranoia. I would be interested to talk to a smart person to tell us whether those that are genuinely paranoid are also not showing true fear. But but I digress, Pete. Words are making me see that this is a serious threat here. Um, and it, of course, it means the holiday is canceled. Picard must go. Great line here. He says he'll be back in a few days, maybe less. Maybe more, she adds. Uh, and Laris lovingly sees him off, noting that there's a, a bar on the planet with a great view of the sunset. So take care of yourself. And they kiss. Again, some people surprised to find out that this is a romance, but that's why I should watch the first two seasons. The painting of the Enterprise D morphs into a model uh, in 10 forward where Will Riker drinks in front of a Frontier Day poster celebrating 250 years of exploration. But the barmaid explains they have too many of those little souvenirs because no one wants the fat ones. That's galaxy class to you, young lady, as Picard arrives. And uh, both he and Riker will be making speeches at Frontier Day next week next episode uh picard wouldn't have asked Riker to meet if it was not important and really appreciates him giving up family time but Riker tells him deanna and his daughter kestra will appreciate the time away from Riker, which is it obviously is a hint at trouble it's the kind of thing that makes him easy to get to the story for just as long he needs to be in the story also, Pete, we'll discuss in theories. Maybe it opens up an option for uh, Troy having a consulting job on the side, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, the fellows grab a table and talk about the, the coordinates, talk about the Hellbird comment there. Picard has no idea what it means. And Pete Breaker references <gasps> adventures that took place off screen. If you can imagine such a thing, I thought that there were only 24 missions a year, no more, no less, um, and so forth. But how there was this virus, uh, you know, of course, Picard, not not part of that mission because it's when he was part of the Borg. A computer virus had added threes to every coordinate. So let's do that as well. Look, now the coordinates have gone from nowhere to somewhere. Somewhere is the Wrighton system. Uh, let's not forget that Beverly was terrified. But why did she cut everyone off? If only there was some answer here. But Picard quickly changes the subject again, saying they need a ship. Pete, twice now, love denied. We'll keep track of this as the episode evolves. Interesting that 
Deanna and Jordy and Riker were the ones named as cut off from Beverly. Um, of course, Worf excluded from that. We know he'll be in the story. We're definitely not going to count lore. I, I'm pretty sure Beverly Crusher has always cut lore off. Uh, Picard notes they need to find a ship, and Riker says they cannot charter one because of the distance and danger. They are due for a good old-fashioned road trip. Riker thinks he may have a workaround Starfleet as the camera catches a guy at the bar examining a fat one who drops it in his drink as the scene concludes. Pete, with that, we cut to Metallus Prime, and I understand you have some info here about uh, the presence of Metallus Prime in the show run by Terry Metallus. Yes, not so self-serving that I will make myself a planet in the story I have written for the TV screen. Uh, this, of course, dates back to uh, Star Trek Enterprise, or Enterprise, if you're so inclined. Uh, where that location was first deployed as an acknowledgement of Terry Matalus by another writer-producer. So on Matalus Prime, we have a, a hooded figure walking along the mean streets and such. Pete, there's... District 6. Oh, yeah. There's, there's down from District 9. There's, there's, there's various youths standing around uh, oil drum fires and so forth. There's some uh somebody was playing the game. The game, yes. The 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 eye spray in quotes of the game and so forth. Pete, you know it's bad news here. There's there's come hither folks saying to come hither and enjoy things and such. Who... Drugs. Who who says the type of drugs out loud? Excuse me, do you have any earther narcotics? Well, uh, Pete, there's a place for, there's a place for everybody in the universe here and on this six. yeah district six the naughty district who could be here pete white it's rafi ostensibly looking for a fix getting the score and so forth transferring the money what what few gene never would have done this um she's also heard you know as she does the standard rafi uh you know arm itch and twitch and so forth she's heard about daystrom tech being stolen you know quantum tunneling tech could also be a weapon her orion seller he he, he ain't gonna say nothing um even though she just wants a little info to, to help get her back in a starfleet uh she does some button pushing offers up some more money wow i didn't know you had so much it's everything she's got so he offers up a clue something's gonna happen uh with the red lady what is that? Is that a place or this or that? No idea. Scram, says the Orion. Well, let me say this, Pete. This guy playing the Orion, okay? Not a big part, okay? He's probably spent more time in the makeup chair getting painted green than he is actually on set. I just love how he's he's in the midst of his meal, and he's making a meal of the scene, kind of the kind of like choo-choo think, kind of the look at the plate and be like, ah, oh, this meal is getting interrupted. Like, this is... This guy is acting, even though he's not the star of Star Trek Picard or whatever. Um, but ultimately, Raffi stumbles into the night, a night filled with TV and film snow, but it's swirling all around. So I don't know whether it's like goose feathers or it's like maybe it's bubbles from like the bubble club or something, but it's adding 
rough and tumble atmosphere. She she stumbles into a quiet alleyway, and Pete, that's when she she straightens up, for Raffi has been acting herself with confidence. She takes out her uh, her communicator, identifying herself as Starfleet Intelligence, uh, you know, a commander, needs a debrief and more money. And Pete, though we were so fearful that she had fallen off the space wagon, uh, she considers the drug. You see she struggles, but she throws it away. For Pete, she has overcome her addiction. There is a reason that Michelle Hurd has stuck with Star Trek Picard for all of its three seasons and its performances like this. Now, the writing is a little incongruous because... Oh, oh, yeah, you know, I pretend that I'm drug addled. I'm not drug addled in a later scene. I've got the drugs and I'm spiraling here. OK, it's a, just a little difficult to add up. But this none of this comes at the fault of Michelle Hurd, who's just been wonderful for Star Trek and, you know, only gave them a reason to find a place here, the anchor of the B-plot in this story. We cut to a shuttle pod above Earth. It's Riker and Picard heading towards space dock. They talk about the plan, the ruse. Uh, after all, it's not really that much of a, of a fake out here. They are both highly ranked officers doing an inspection. Uh, later, we'll be reminded that, of course, Picard is uh, is retired. And let's also not forget that Riker was retired, although fair is fair. He is active duty right now. Um, Riker asks Picard to give one of those rigid, disapproving looks. Uh, and Picard does that to Riker. And Riker says, there it is. They approach the Titan, the new Titan. Pete, we get shots from the 12 o'clock position, from the 2 o'clock position. We have Riker telling us that it's the Titan, but it's a refit, neo-constitution style. Um, so, again, this is not super new territory. We got it last season a bit where are things a refit or a brand new? And it's it's Star Trek saying, oh, I don't really know. We have some cool new ships, and sometimes we reuse sets. And just whatever, man. Go with the old and the new. The ship of Theseus. Exactly. The USS Theseus. Um, we also get told the captain, Shaw, will take some convincing here. Uh, because Shaw is what you call in this story, what is the word? The antagonist for the episode. Um, however, the first officer might be a little bit easier. Cut to Pete, the first officer. Yes, we, of course, recognize and expect here Seven of Nine, um, who uh, Picard has had dealings with in the past. This is the first time Riker is meeting her, uh, asking for permission to come aboard. Uh, but, Matt, back to that aforementioned Captain Shaw, prefers that she use her human name, Annika Hansen, Commander. Um, shades here of, no, you must use the name I give you, not the name you want. I see you, Star Trek. Well done. Um, Riker and Picard do the inspection walk. Uh, Picard stopping at one man, adjusting his badge. Uh, another man, the camera lingering on him, perhaps familiar to be continued there. Uh, as for Shaw, you know, like, it's all well and good that we... We get seven back from last season and she's there to greet them and whatnot, but shouldn't the captain be meeting them there? Oh no, 
this is a, an efficient, compact story here. She tells the gentleman that Shaw is working on his logs and can't receive them just now, um, which, you know, in retrospect... There's a it, read on that, that that's far more inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Um, she says that there'll be dinner later, uh, and, and they're looking forward to it. She says, lower your expectations. Pete, just like Nicholas Meyer said at the very first Neo Star Trek convention appearance back in, when was it? 2016. There you go. Lower your expectations. I like to think, Pete, that in the writer's room, they were like, hey, we should use that line that Nicholas Meyer said and those guys on that podcast that we all listen to. You know, like all the writing rooms in modern Star Trek listen to that, the podcast where those guys keep mentioning it and whatnot. Let's mention it there. And they all high five and they're like, yeah, I wonder if the I wonder if those fantastic geek guys will pick up on it this time. Guess what? We did. Lower those expectations. Uh, the Admiral and Captain brought to the bridge here that Riker notes still has that new ship smell, even though this is the ship that he had at one point, but also a different ship. A smiling ensign there, barely able to contain herself, eventually identified as Ensign LaForge. Sydney, is that you? Uh, it's been a long time. Riker uh, notes this is Crash LaForge. Uh, she was a cadet at Starfleet Academy, uh, but she crashed twice. A little bit of a speed demon. More story to be brought in from there uh, eventually. But we now request permission to depart from the space dock here and uh, Picard asks that Commander Hansen do the honor, sitting there in the captain's chair, uh, opening the uh, helm to clear all mornings and to uh, get the aft thrusters going at one quarter. Impulse for what Terry Madalus said he wanted to write as a proper exit from uh, Starbase here um something he just really wanted to do in an episode in a season of star trek pete for my engineering eyes okay the titan's a tad close to those doors but you know the ship does have six impulse engines for a reason apparently according to the star trek logs it's there for improved uh near planet uh maneuvering and so forth so it, it, it's a beautiful shot we indeed as it gets out of space dock we get more beauty shots now we have stuff from like the nine o'clock side and so forth they prep for maximum warp picard wonders if uh commander seven shouldn't notify engineering she says it's no longer protocol um which of course is the first of a, a couple of moments in the episode where picard is a tad forgetful or out of the loop and so forth uh, however, more importantly, she's told she'll be captain one day, like one day if we spin off a Titan show, know what I mean? Eh, eh, high five. Uh, let's engage. Excellent recovery there, Admiral. Uh, shut it, Will. And they warp out uh, almost into uh, Captain Shaw's quarters here where Chopin's Nocturne in E-flat plays has red wine later identified as Malbec is poured and he cuts blue meat on fine Starfleet China. 
Seven presents Picard and Riker, but their reputations preceded them so far into the room that he rudely started early. And immediately here is an old friend of Terry Madelis, uh making his presence felt. Yes, actor Todd Stashwick goes all the way back to uh, the series 12 Monkeys uh, with uh, Terry Madelis. And look, Todd Stashwick understood the assignment, which is we have masked baddies in the first 90 seconds of this episode, and we have masked baddies showing up in a ship. We don't even see their faces, but showing up in the last 90 seconds of this episode we need a bad guy in the middle we need somebody who's going to throw rocks at our heroes uh pete shades of you know once upon a time the next generation was the baddie you know waving its wagging its finger at the cowboy diplomacy of the the original series now here we have it happening again where captain shaw is a meanie to to our heroes to um, our cowboys indeed and again finger at the cowboy the i know that people have i don't want to say they've given terry madeline scuff they've said you know oh you, you can, please tell me you're going to kill off captain shaw soon like again it's a, it is a role meant for hate todd stashwick playing it wonderfully terry madeline has made the joke yeah he's killed before the credits or the, the title card next week don't worry you know clearly this is going to be a, <laughs> a, a a burr in the saddle for you know much of the season and Pete, not to go to theory mode, probably somebody who gets knocked off his tower, you know, by the end, setting up a Titan spinoff and all of that. And we're just all here for the ride because it's an amazing job being done. It is uh, to the characterization here with Picard gifting him the Chateau Picard vintage, uh, but of course, disrespecting the gift and then identifying Riker nay outing him as a bourbonista given all the bebop he had to purge when he took over this command five years 36 missions ago uh he is not a fan of jazz therefore the improvisation see that's good writing matt uh he's into structure tempo time and as we mentioned before this inspection if that's even what they're here doing because in a moment picard will commit his second faux pas but his first in front of the captain uh talking about a deep space station that's been shut down for a year don't you read your briefings admiral retired congrats on that Pete, someone on Memory Alpha does not fully appreciate uh, subtlety or metaphor, uh, because I know, at least as of yesterday, um, either the Captain Shaw entry or the Titan A entry made reference to how Shaw needed to remove jazz music from the computer system, which is not what he means when he says, I had to purge the system of all the bebop. Like, it's more, it's not that it used to be that, like, when you went to sick bay with a cut it wouldn't like the door wouldn't open it wouldn't be like like it wasn't that kind of level but sometimes star trek fans not not known for the subtlety not appreciating the subtlety um but again the message here the captain shaw 
suspects that the uh, inspection will be boring for Picard and Riker. Everything is in ship shape. Uh, you won't be blowing things up, taking uh, or uh, giving off fire. There won't be any crash landings planned or accidental. Uh, you know, the usual for you boys. Um, again, you got one scene to establish this guy as the you know, the baddie of the episode and the baddie of future episodes, and they do it. Picard would like to change course for the Riton system on the edge of Federation space and in the opposite direction. Why? Uh, asks Captain Shaw. Riker jumps in. Great story. It'll give you bragging rights for Federation Day, be able to show off the efficiency of the new Titan, and they can make that final engineering inspection at a deep space station that has been shut down for a year. Seven jumps in to help that she believes the Admiral means DS-11. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, but Shaw is a no. No? Uh, yeah, he's kept this train running. For all this time that Riker's been out of that chair and doesn't have one now to be able to refuse a retired admiral and an unseated captain. Because the Titan is his now, and he loves reading about all their exciting and equally irresponsible adventures. But he has orders that come down from actual officers. So, request denied. He reminds uh, Seven that her loyalty should be lying with the ship, not with these guys, you know, Mumble, former Borg Mumble, uh, which, again, for anyone who didn't see the first season, you know, being an XB, uh, an ex-Borg is a, seemed to be a negative, I think understandably so, uh, but seemed to be a negative in uh, the modern Star Trek universe. Uh, and then the pièce de résistance, as Shaw leaves the table to uh, to head to bed, uh, gentlemen. Uh, hope you have suitable. Hope you enjoy the suitable accommodations. You know stuff that we were able to put together in such short notice. It'll be a couple scenes until we find out that that's bunk beds. And I would argue, Pete, that that is maybe the first thing that Shaw has done that might theoretically get him in trouble with the bosses who sent Picard and Riker. However, we, of course, know that there are no such bosses. So I don't know if Shaw's playing 3D chess here or if Shaw's just a jerk. Heck, why not both? Best they could do on such short notice. Uh, that went well, notes the remnants in the room before we're out in the hallway and Picard getting us back on story course so that every moment they're not on their way to the writing system. Uh, his concern for Beverly grows. How do they pivot? Riker asks. Short of mutiny, Picard is at a loss, and the camera languages on seven of nine. Before we are at La Serena, Matt, a staple of Star Trek Picard, now under its third owner. This, of course, Raffi, checking out a hologram recording of her granddaughter that we saw her son was expecting uh during the first season uh on the console there mention of an operation daybreak 
and this secure channel open trying to see if her handler is there this time or if uh, they he will flake out again uh she has nothing on the red lady and requests a face-to-face which is promptly denied uh she has the drugs in her hand there i think that's a space vape like the kids call it um notes that she's been spiraling having been undercover for months trying to figure out who stole the experimental weapons from daystrom station and why is this red lady a person an organization she's terrified about this weapon and she had no uh idea nor does her handler on the other end have any idea how hard it would be to be in this world uh but the uh, voice the uh fingers on the other end of the hologram note uh that they do her dishonorable discharge her paranoia her obsessive and combative nature 13 court martial level offenses interesting the british offense spelled there with the c uh as well as her history of substance abuse all noted on screen very detail oriented she notes um and the uh voice and the typing says that this stolen weapon is an act of war and whoever it is matt knows that she is a warrior I feel like there's a finite number of people that could be on the other end. I have thoughts for theories. Um, but just indeed, say it. It's Worf. Like, come on. It's it's well, completely apparent he's the one on the other end of this. Well, I, I, I have I have thoughts that it could be it could be somebody else. Just want to throw that out there. Okay. Um, but indeed, the uh the you know, go find the red lady. We get the beginning of a montage of the search of such things. Uh, but then we go back to the Titan with Picard and Riker on those humiliating bunk beds. Um, they talk about the last time that uh, Picard saw Beverly. It was not on the best of terms. Uh, oh, man, Pete, I almost feel like there's some more story there. Uh, but I'm sure none of that will come home to roost. Um, of course, Picard thought that when last they parted, that it would not be 20 years of silence. Uh, Ensign LaForge calls them to the observation lounge, which, you know, Pete, in other configurations of this bridge module, i.e. those used on uh, the Stargazer last season, they might have put the uh, the captain's ready room here. But, you know, part of these interchangeable bridge modules are that you can make changes in between the seasons. Um, Seven meets them at the observation lounge and wants to be told what's going on or else... Uh, Riker says that's no way to speak to an admiral, which is a reminder that this is a repilot for some people. And uh, Picard has to say, no, no, this is how we can speak as friends. Prior Adventures, last season on Paramount Plus. Catch it now before it's gobbled up by another streamer. Um, Picard brings her up to speed, including the whole not trusting Starfleet part. She recaps being a ranger and how Picard and Janeway pushed her into Starfleet. Don't forget Terry Madelis has said Janeway does not appear in this season. But now, <laughs> let's sigh. How can she inspire others when all she does is take guff from Shaw? And Picard says wisely that he has often wondered the same thing. You see, Pete, sometimes 
you need, uh, I don't know, you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. I'm sure Picard has said whilst wearing a backward uh, basketball cap or something. <laughs> if only there was an episode where we test the rigors of the chain of command. But I digress, Matt. Uh, Sydney LaForge informs them they've dropped out of war. Uh, they head to the bridge there with the viewer on. Uh, Riker notes that um, Seven has disobeyed orders. Welcome to the Riton system. They have detected a vessel running at the lowest possible power um, levels, approximately 200 kilometers inside the nebulas. It's always a nebula map. There are no other stellar <laughs> formations other than nebulas. Well, not when you want to get sensors that don't work right and baddies hiding in the smoke. I, I guess. And I love me a good nebula and gosh darn it, they're they're pretty and all that. But like, please ever like it's it's nebula and then like black hole. Apparently there's nothing else in space that you could ever like be around. Well, this, uh, as mentioned, there's your standard nebula blocking stuff going on. So Seven says uh, that uh, in four minutes, Shuttle Bay 3 will be unguarded. If you know what I mean, she kind of, the only way I could have gotten a little bit more, you know what I mean, E, it's if she did like the wink, wink and maybe a nudge, nudge. Um, but concurrent to this in Shaw's quarters, he wakes up, notices a different and uh, unplanned for view makes his way to the bridge. Uh, a minor detail, not an earth-shattering one, but the fact that he's putting the last couple buttons on his coat as he walks onto the bridge, a nice touch there. Um, is this Wrighton? He's not a happy camper. He orders the ship to be locked down. Oh, but a shuttle has just launched. Close-up of the panel shows that gasp of gasps. It's launching from Shuttle Bay 3. Uh, and Shaw chews out seven. Pete, other people on the bridge are noticing, okay? And he wants a full report from her as to everywhere that Picard and Riker had been, and uh, thus Shaw, still a very, very bad guy to our heroes. She's just loyaltyed her way to the end of a career as a first officer and definitely not a captain of an eventual possible spinoff. But anyway, Raffi elsewhere, smashing a pad the red lady is it the name of a vessel this is her 23rd search attempt on starfleet google that apparently we need to note uh there is a vessel docked in a rigel system of that name there is a former member of the tal shiar deceased 200 days ago at the hands of her father that's not dark at all um so maybe it's not a buyer maybe it's not a seller a ship but a target Computer, list all the big events for the next few months and the pre-Frontier Day recruitment drive, uh, Rachel Garrett statue dedication ceremony is just happening to come up in the next district over. Take us to District 7 now. Totally ignore on the left that uh, Voyager diagram. Uh <laughs> Indeed, the, the Voyager B. Uh, I think it's also during the scene that we get some news about the latest Enterprise being um, um, decommissioned early and so forth. So Pete just, 
you know what, Pete, maybe this bridge module is so uh, popular that it could end up on the Enterprise, uh, let's say, ABCDEFG uh, in a couple of years. I don't know. But to the next district we go, Rafi flies on in, wants to speak with Starfleet personnel. Static, static. Starfleet recruitment, come in. I need to speak with the security officer. Um, she's heading towards just, just a lovely building in that, I mean this genuinely here, kind of in that Starfleet Academy, Starfleet HQ style. Um, kudos to them for being able to encapsulate it so well. Uh, we see the statue of uh, Captain Rachel Garrett, uh, captain of the Enterprise C, who just seemingly can't get a break. Let's see, in the original timeline, she can't get a break. In the branch timeline, in which she makes her way through and then has to come on back in yesterday's enterprise she can't get a break pete even her statue can't get a break because all of a sudden the building uh is encircled in light and it collapses in on itself collapses down to a pit now in the sky a uh a similar ring opens and the debris falls down pete kind of looks to my eye like some sort of quantum tunneling technology yes, maybe being Rick misused Sanchez as a weapon portal device indeed uh, and for Rafi, there is angst as she lowers her head out of the frame to show us the pain. Pete, take us what? to the nebula. Yeah, so uh, the shuttle to the Helios, just enough outside of sensor range here for Riker and Picard to chew the scene a little bit. Hell of a view. The kind they spent half their lifetimes chasing, the other half missing the chase. Uh, are you enjoying this? Will, of course not. Are you? Uh, scanning range here after characterization. Of course, there are phaser scorches. There's warp core damage to the ship. Some effective systems are running at half power. Uh, are there life signs? Of course, the nebula interferes on that. It's hard to pick up uh, on one for sure. Uh, it's hard to tell. And Picard uploads... Beverly's last known Starfleet vitals to compare. It is her, her pulse ox and respiration are dangerously low. Riker notes, uh, she needs help. And whoever is there with her, a friend or a foe, as they dock here towards the back, uh, Picard uh, flexes his right hand, noting an adrenaline rush, Fear or the thought of seeing Beverly, Riker asks. It's both. So his hands are stiff. Riker's knees are killing him. Agedy, age, age. Pete, I can't believe they made our heroes old. Gene wouldn't have let this happen. For real. Uh, they enter the ship. Uh, they read the signs of a recent fight. You know, those at the top of the episode. What's that playing in the background? Why it's the Picard loves Beverly playlist uh, in lieu of wine and flour. Um, and uh, they still continue to read the signs of the fight. Maybe I would argue just a tad too much. Like, okay, I saw it 45 minutes ago, the thing and the, the gas coming down and the ash and so forth. Um, but Picard says, Will, because you've never seen one of those ancient earth horror movies, I'm going to enter the bridge. You stay here by yourself. Uh, and we, the camera, returns to Riker, seeing that there's a man behind him, astonished gasp. But Pete, take us inside the bridge. I wonder what will happen to Riker. 
yeah, that uh, she's inside the med pod here uh, that Picard wipes the uh, the mist away from. And then the door to the bridge opens uh, that we've got the unnamed crew member there with the gun on Riker. Um, but Picard should have known that uh, Beverly would never have uh, asked for him to come halfway across the galaxy just for herself. Uh, somebody helped her into that med pod, obviously cares for her. Uh, so that other man lowers the weapon and then Riker promptly punches him. <laughs> um, but uh, this man notes that he is Beverly's son, but also has a British accent. Um, Pulls them chaps. <laughs> Press materials refer to him as Jack Crusher. I'd like to propose that we refer to him as JCJ, Jack Crusher Jr. Although it's kind of weird, Pete. Like he's Secret so... Song. He's so eager to say that, you know, I am her son, almost like he wants to say, like, I don't love you, dad, because you were never for me, uh, here for me. And I don't have daddy issues, dad, whether it's my dead dad namesake, Jack Crusher Sr., or my other real dad, who was really just a, a DNA dad, but really never cared for me, dad. Um, but Pete, we can't have that it's, discussion right now. There's John a proximity Luke alert. Picard was many things, but he was never a Boy Scout. Um, with that proximity alert, the baddies have found them, uh, wonderful line here out of JCJ each time they show, you know, they've been here and there and the other each time with different faces. That's one to ponder over. Mm -hmm. They're being hunted here. Take a look. Uh, they open the blast shield. Um, and, uh, the, the, the little ship is shown in contrast to the giant spider-like ship moving out of the nebula. It's prongs reaching forward and so forth massive against the tiny elios uh and uh once the credits start to roll there's some first contact music in the air as we end the first episode um pardon me pete the first part of the season lots to chew over here on the readouts there's the uh the ship that we know from uh later down the road is called the shrike uh, multiple uh, images of DNA, Matt. Um, additionally, there's a readout. It may be of this quantum tunneling device that goes from Klingon to English. Um, there's a holodeck program for 10 forward that has the safety protocols offline because it's only interesting when they're offline. There is a melody that uh, would seem to be a reverse reference to a very early adventure of the Next Generation crew. Um, we have uh, readouts of the Titan there, as well as the location of the Fleet Museum on Athon Prime, uh, along with the... Uh, USS Voyager, the Pioneer, the Enterprise, and the Excelsior, uh, as well as that Myriad 4-7 Alpha Tango uh, code. And then 
the handler text there, it would seem the repeated message, do not seek blame, as well as a brain scan before classily, Matt, the last thing we see before a compilation of scenes from the season is a dedication there for Annie. Of course, Annie Worshing, who played the Borg Queen in season two, having passed away in, uh, I think it was late January. We have an incoming threat analysis. Let's start by talking about Beverly's mysterious pursuers. Packing some serious firepower. We have at least four ships at this point. One, the likely mother ship there, that Shrike. Uh, no doubt the, the big baddie aboard that for the reveal next week. Um, the interesting thing about the different faces each time you know so we had the masks on the the ones we saw early on also saves them from the prosthetics of that uh but you know beginning they say that you should always begin a scene as far into it as possible and to start this with uh crusher on the run out of starfleet Doctor without border style here with male crew member son. Uh, you know, we, we want to know her story and the bad guys here, how they're intertwined remains to be seen. I think also remaining to be seen is how we will get more uh, antagonism from Captain Shaw. I mean, clearly for right now, um, one would think that the Titan is out of the story. It's also, you know, on the other side of the nebula there. So it could be as soon as next week, uh, or if the story doesn't take us there, i.e. if the Shrike uh, takes our heroes to another spot or something like that. Um, I like that the Titan and the tension that Shaw brings kind of is acting in story reserve to show up, um, at which point we need to interrupt the current trajectory and have the Titan coming in to save the day or cause trouble for our heroes or that sort of thing. Yeah. And so what does it do that he's pointed out the cowboy nature, the improvisation of the, the once Matt by the book, Jean-Luc Picard. No, you will not be allowed on the away mission, sir. Yes, I will. Will. And you know, that, the longer we're with the crew and see them do that, that they'd never remain by the book. So it it's only to be expected as we learn more about Shaw, um, you know, and the, the subtext too of making seven to use her name that she does not prefer to go by that she's developed this other sense of identity, having, embraced after you know much time uh her borg identity and the comfortability that came with that i mean when you think of jerry ryan's 
performance across two series here, Voyager, again, having worked with Matalus, and now um, Star Trek Picard to reprise the character in that first season. And this is such a very different seven and on and on and on about that. And now the ease with which she gives us that human side, whereas, you know, on Voyager, one of the most written for characters, the need for the shift in tone into that fourth season to start to transition away from the early Voyager and, and some of the stiffness of that and really give that character not an everyman kind of, you know, the the reverse idea of that, learning about humanity from outside of it. And I love the sort of meta unintended arc to it all. I mean, let's not forget the genesis of adding seven to Voyager, um, among other things. Let, let's just speak the truth here. Can we get a pretty lady in a jumpsuit you know, in a form-fitting jumpsuit every week because the ratings are going down and there's an immediate ratings jump up that then remains for the rest of the season. So, yes, the ca- yes, there certainly was complexity and sympathy and um, shake up to the status quo and so forth. But you know, the powers that be wanted a pretty lady in a jumpsuit um, to go from that to the character's growth seasons four through seven, and then further growth uh, as we've seen across the seasons of Picard. Um, how she's been romantically involved with Rafi. Uh, and then, you know, this entire time, the entire time that we've had Seven as a character from Voyager forward, the fact that she's had the choice of her birth name or, you know, a, we'll say a chosen name. I mean, obviously the the Borg designation won out of a of a, an unwilling genesis, but the fact that she has self-chosen her own name and what that means to her identity and so forth more timely now than ever, uh, but also timeless since that's literally what's been going on since the fourth season of Voyager. Doubtless there are people upset somehow over this, but again, she's been known as seven a heck of a lot longer than Annika Hansen. And uh, the fact that it gets to give a little extra dignity and support to those uh, wrestling with their own identities, determining their own identities. It's just, it's an added bonus of what Star Trek can bring. To have Shaw impose that on her, a, a form of dead naming her, if you will, um, as the trans community has struggled with. So I, I think timely, topical, um, and within the character. Pete, we have our long-range sensors scanning for some theories. Okay, first one here. Okay, Rafi needs a handler who has operational experience, but also <laughs> some sympathy, empathy, the ability to read a file but see the real person beneath. Uh, beneath. Also, somebody who likes to work anonymously, maybe hop on that Zoom from home. Could this be Troy? <sighs> I, I think it's Worf. I really do. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I, I'd like the wrinkle if it's 
Deanna. Um, yeah, let's let's just roll on the next episode that, that we can have that discussion. Deanna did not occur to me um, while watching this. And I, I think the, the reference to being a warrior um, really felt overt. But I, I think you do hint at that. Um, so that for me works. Um, and when you consider everything that Raffi here in her storyline, the addiction as an identifying characteristic, as long as we've seen the character, um, you know, the predilection to conspiratorial thoughts, albeit she did properly identify this, you know, sprawling uh, conspiracy back in the first season. Um, but, you know, it, it's something she's carried with her and her inability to settle down, not to be able to remain in her child and her granddaughter's life. Um, same with Seven, and I'm sure we're going to catch up on how that went down, but obviously one in Starfleet, one on the outside looking in. The actor Ed Spieler is playing a uh, male crew member, a.k.a. Jack Crusher Jr. Uh, he is 34 years old, okay? Yep. Is there some sort of hole in Dr. <laughs> Crusher's biography from 35 to 36 years ago in which she might have had a wee baby and might have needed to step away from the enterprise and maybe it was just a wonderful little opportunity for the writing room to explain this because there's a hidden year in dr crusher's chronology does such a thing exist the prevailing theory of course that uh the naked now matt that first season reprise of an original series uh mission led to uh eventually this male crew member son that uh she's got but you know how do you go have the baby secretly return for you know those remaining five seasons gates mcfadden has been very upfront i think you know respectively and responsibly so about the opportunities that returning to this character provided given that Dr. Crusher got the least to do in any of the films, um, without a doubt. And that she can return to this, that she can start it as an action heroine, that there can be this complexity to her character, a character who was complex on the show. Um, I mean, what the people really want is for Ed Spieler's character to be half ghost and the dad to be a ghost, henceforth ghost dad, but definitely have nothing to do with uh, William Cosby. Um, I would just add to all of that, of course, Dr. Crusher absent in the second season of Next Generation. So if we were to say the 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 spark was started with the naked now. Um, ostensibly enough time in her absence uh after the end of season one and 
through all of season two. I mean, yes, it raises other questions like who was raising this child and so forth. But I think that 35 years after she was not in season two of the next generation to sit and say, you know, Oh, my uncle raised him or my brother, ra-, you know, whatever it is to sit and go, you know, I would go anytime we were back on earth, I'd go visit him. And I, I think the story plus of, you know, it's, it's Jack Crusher jr. But also he's never known his father. I know we talked in the preview of the season the that star trek start the star trek next generation films have already wrestled with like the picard son clone thing in nemesis why not double down and just do some good old-fashioned but i don't know my dad but i am your but dad a man in search of a legacy that will now be burdened by one and have to come to grips with it on the final adventure um listen it it enriches everything there i just wish that they had somehow kept it a little bit more from our eyes that you know said it didn't pop up until the last trailer and the the poster so it it's kind of and and there are people who are not on that who are watching this for the first time and okay um, I don't know. I, I kind of, I, I see both sides of it. Let them play it out as it's going to happen here. Um, but why are her, uh, and, uh, him on the run there? I think that's part of the, that's part of the joy of how they're using Dr. Crusher and Jack Crusher, Jack Crusher Jr. Um, that kind of we we don't know i know that you've proposed many times some sort of doctors without borders thing i mean that still doesn't explain why she can't pop back into federation space and dial space 911 to say oh no there's baddies after me um i know that the the music at the very end of the episode as we're getting the the wide shot there the music kind of has some of those jerry goldsmith the motion picture like kind of stuff um so feature is the dad (laughs) well i'm I'm, I'm not saying it's directly a feature type thing but just the notion of like all of a sudden i'm thinking about the motion picture i'm like well clearly it's not that i think there's a certain kind of romulan ship romulan mining ship star trek 09 slight yeah. vibe to it now that Aesthetic said if you want to the design clearly um i know that the number was floated 600 designs on the ship and dave blast was you know very forthright to say no <laughs> i i didn't redesign this 600 times but we cobbled together a, a lot of ideas there but yeah it does look very very reminiscent of you know that ship from the uh 2009 uh feature film um again and i think to be fair there like there's only so many ways you can design a star trek ship to look like a star trek ship a, exactly. a shark a, a star trek ship and a bad guy ship like yes. you're obviously not going to go cube or sphere yeah okay it has to resemble some form of predator okay um it is a little cliche, the whole idea in, in a 
franchise about exploration, the over-emotional antagonist with a grudge has become a cliche. Now, listen, you do con, you've established the platinum standard, okay? Ricardo Montalban and the whole idea, it was it was just too tempting a thing to not go back to it and the, um, you know, Star Trek Into Darkness and the recast with Cumberbatch and the star that he's become and everything there. Um, again, let them play out how this antagonist is is going to go. The real insistence in the credits on DNA, and then you bring in the idea of Rachel Garrett and yesterday's Enterprise. Um, and I think there's a connection there as well towards the motivation of our antagonist. I think there's there's tons of story potential here. I was surprised, since you're speaking of yesterday's Enterprise, I was surprised to see Denise Crosby publicly complaining on Twitter that she wasn't invited to the premiere. And then I was I was like, right, but you're not in this. But wait, I think we discussed that she is in this in some capacity and kind of that back and forth. So I don't I don't mention that to individually air the lawn the dirty laundry of who got to go to the premiere and who didn't. Uh although Pete, uh Jonathan Frakes did offer up Michael Rosenbaum, uh, you know, he of uh Smallville and the, the Michael Rosenbaum is a great podcast and Frakes was on their uh, an interview subject recently, Frakes was like, uh, you want to go? I'll put you on the list. You can go. So if you know the right people, it's that easy to go. Um, I guess Denise Crosby, who left the show of her own accord, maybe didn't know the right people in order to be able to go. But I just mentioned that because here we are talking theories. And is there some sort of Tasha tangent, etc., cetera, to, to tie into all this? I don't know. We'll have to see again how that plays out the hellbird thing matt and you know what we said about off-screen adventures because that happened but no starfleet don't tell anybody else yet this was a mission where picard was incapacitated so she had to know when she told that to him he would get others involved right totally agree and we we know Riker is back in Starfleet because of the demands of the last two seasons of Picard. Um, is it possible she doesn't know it? Um, I think that that is, generally speaking, that is possible. We also, you know, we also don't explicitly know Worf's status right now. When last we saw Worf, he was leaving Starfleet. Um so there's that. We also find Jordy uh, is the curator of the Fleet Museum. I mean, is that in a Starfleet capacity or is it in that, a, you know, is he just the private director of the museum sort of thing? Um, so I think you can make your way through the through the the Enterprise D regulars, um, you know, ditto for Troy and so forth. I, th I think there's the possibility of trusting your old friends, but not, you know, Picard not getting this message and saying, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to Starfleet HQ and I'm going to talk to Admiral, you know, um, F-bomb lady and 
tell her these things like that. that that's the opposite route that Beverly wants him to go on. Admiral F bomb. Um, Frontier Day would seem to be the big, big target. You know, now that we've we've done the Red Lady, I'm sure that'll have been a a test fire, right? That we just wanted to see if we could make a whole recruitment center go into the quantum tunnel before we make an entire planet. Wait a minute, Pete. Are you saying that are you saying that that the big weapon for this season is actually a Death Star? <laughs> That's just occurring to me now. It's a Death Star by another means. Because if you could do that to a building, you're saying you could do that to a planet. Now all of a sudden it's a Death Star. I I mean, come on. It it's doomsday weapon. It always has to be a doomsday weapon Matt, we'll discuss tomorrow that there are people that don't think there are great stakes to ant-man and the wasp quantumania and i will suggest now that maybe those people weren't listening or watching um you have to have this if you don't have a cost for your characters why do we as the audience care um, I might argue they didn't do a tremendous job of the coverage with the camera, special effect shot, special effect shot, shot of Michelle Hurd reacting rather than integrating that in a little bit more smoothly. Okay, Michelle, we need you. You have just watched terrible thing that, uh, very talented visual effects people are working on right now, uh, doing. I, I need you to emote that. Um, it, it's something like we've never seen to have this building get sucked into the ground and then have the rubble of that appear through a hole over there. Like I said, jokingly, but also, you know, how it's done on Rick and Morty with a portal. Like you open it up and all right, now we'll drop it through there. The potential to do that with another target clearly on a larger more frightening scale than we already saw through this seeming terrorist attack with that pete let's open hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir we go to our twitter poll pete in which uh, people were asked to rate the episode in the following way uh, one old man emoji why space dad's old that got 2.1%. I mean, um, that vote choice there is to make fun of people who are upset that these characters have aged since 1987. But okay, you do you. Um, two angry faces. Angry new Cap'n, 6.3%. Pete, three baby emoji. Bev's lost year got 10.4%. And then four uh, starry-eyed emojis. Sacre bleu, 81.3%. Uh, some replies here on Twitter. Uh, the, the first one, deliciously droll here in the sense of humor. Uh, at Amerwitch says, I'm mad they recast Will Wheaton. Um, <laughs> that's a very funny joke. Um, JT Adkins, who I believe we're going to hear from more in a little bit, says, I'll have more to say later, but as a starting point, I thoroughly enjoyed the first two seasons. I'm now completely on board for this tonal shift. So much more to say, so much more to enjoy. 
Next, we hear from Brett Desmo-Williams at BW Desmo. Uh, what a great launch. I was so hyped. I was afraid the show couldn't stand up to it, but it did. Little heavy-handed making Shaw a guy you want to hate with the forced name for seven uh, is near unforgivable. I fear I feel they're setting us up to a 180 with him. Can't wait to see it. Ooh, Pete, your thoughts there that maybe the Star Trek lesson is with conversation and understanding we can have Shaw reassess his positions and meet in a more moderate position. That would completely track with, I don't know, 57 years of continuity of story and theme. Um, JT Adkins adds with a great episode. I'm so glad to be back watching uh, new Trek and interacting with my fantastic friends. Pete, if Twitter's delivering us his tweets out of order, um, that's because Right now, uh, trending on Twitter is the hashtag uh, Twitter problems and so forth. So, you know, look, folks, in the event that Twitter shuts down out of the blue, you know, we have commenting on the webpage and fantastic at gmail.com and all that and the Facebook. So, the listener line, Matt. The listener line, 732-707-1815. You could send texts and voice messages too. So it, it all it's all possible. Uh, we hear from James is sagacious, big killing on Twitter, a good start. New villains look interesting, but honestly, I just want a seven Janeway reunion. Pete, I'll just say again, maybe Terry Madalus is setting us up for the surprise, but he has said, stop all your awesome, you know, some of your predictions are really awesome, but Janeway is a prodigy character at this point. Janeway will not appear. He has been out front in saying that. Yet at the same time, we've had teased you know, earth shattering cameos. The the big one at this point would be an Avery Brooks or a William Shatner. Um, again, let's go through this and see how it happens. Um, I'm glad that they're on different days, Matt, that, you know, uh, Picard runs on Thursdays and Mandalorian will run on Wednesdays because you know, what has Mandalorian trafficked in other than the, oh my God, they they did this and this showed up today. So I'm, I'm glad they'll have the day apart, will have the day apart in terms of the podcast to give it its proper due. We hear from Pellucid, hashtag stand with Ukraine, that's at Pellucid. I never understood all the complaints about different styles for Star Trek shows. I've been happy with everything that's been developed so far. Uh, next, we hear from Jackie Wolf. That's at Jackie Wolf on Twitter. Uh, and I see Pete Twitter now is showing uh, multiple replies weirdly. So I'm glad I clicked on her because she has a lot to, a lot of multiple tweets to say here. And it's not completely clear on the website. So here we go. Jackie Wolf says, Trek is back on TV and the best pod around is here to cover it. Applause emoji. I'm glad Bev gets to be a badass now. She didn't get that chance very much in TNG, but when she did, she made the most of it. I'm thinking of Chain of Command. We're all going to be speculating as to the paternity of Bev's son so heavily that we're not going to wind up uh, on an episode of Maury if we're not careful. <laughs> For those who might not know, that is a daytime talk show, which, uh, which you know, just is deeply seated in paternity reviews and so forth. No seed pun intended. Anyhow, um, but every time I looked at the character, I had the same thought. He looks so much like Jack Crusher. I don't know what plot point it would serve to have him be Jack's son, but it's certainly a possibility, along with a myriad of others. Time will tell. The show writers obviously wanted us to immediately dislike Captain Shaw. I could grudgingly respect the captain who denied such an outlandish request from a retired admiral and non-commissioned captain. 
uh, even if he was rude about it, but to dead name seven and uh, be overtly racist against X, uh, XBs. Instant dislike. I need a scene where seven knocks him flat on the ground, stands trampling over him, and says through clenched teeth, My name is seven of nine. Uh, Pete, tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix one. I, uh, I, want I, would, the, I want the full name. I would like to say when Jackie is correct. Let's remember this moment here. Yes. Um, things uh, that would make me happy to see in season three of Picard: a Captain Janeway sighting. We get a mention. Can we uh, get a live action sighting? Bonus points for a Captain Kim mention. Justice for Ensign Harry Kim. <laughs> um, Pete, I fear that we're going to see Ensign Harry Kim. You know piloting a tugboat or something um but jackie concludes by saying if rafi's handler where can i, where can I park your your oh. cab captain shaw pete prepare to have your mind blown here jackie has a good not quite prediction a good a good call though if rafi's handler turns out to be julian bashir given the direction of his character uh would have gone if there had been a season eight of d space nine it's not too Gosh. far-fetched that's a good one. She says, thanks for all you do, Matt and Pete. No, no, Jackie. Thank you thank for giving. You that's for a beautiful even theory. The possibility of that would be, would be tantalizing. That's really, that's, that's, oof, that's good. Goosebumps. Pete, let's conclude here with Spider-Ham Lincoln at Tess LC 139. What a wonderful return to the world I love. And it's great to see another fantastic Twitter poll. Some quick takes. The captain's log Beverly was listening to was from TNG's The Best of Both Worlds. Beverly's ship, or computer ship's computer persona, the Ilios, she was the Greek goddess of compassion and mercy. I'll just add to his words, Pete. Uh, great namesake for a doctor ship. Uh, nice to see Laris again, albeit briefly. LaForge, a museum administrator, I assume. Interesting. Pete, that just means he's got access to a bunch of ships when they need it. Uh, Rafi's mission is intriguing, and Metallus Prime, we see you, Terry. Nice to see Captain Garrett again. Uh, the quantum tunneling weapon sure is ominous. Captain Shaw, the man we're supposed to dislike. Crappy, he didn't use that word, but I'm going with it. Crappy of him to force a, a name on Commander Seven. Clearly, he has Borg PTSD. Ooh, secret flashback there, Pete. Good. These are good calls here. Mm -hmm. Who's Rafi's handler? Section 31, Worf Laris. Laris has a little less oomph than the names we mentioned so far, but that would track as well. Um, I hope to like, all right, to, to get Laris up front here, something they had held back publicly for a very, very long time. Um, whether she would even be in this series. I hope it's not a one and done. I, I hope they continue to recognize her importance now in Picard's life. Uh, and Spider-Ham Lincoln wraps up by saying, Beverly's son, Jack, is he a chip off the old Jean-Luc? Shades of David Marcus? Or, or is there a more interesting explanation? Uh, I hope this season series and just another poker game. Has to be, right? Thanks in advance for another great Fantastic Geek podcast show. Uh, Pete, the, the, the praise appreciated, but yeah, the last scene is a poker game right like i mean come on it has to be right i have no doubt of the reverence of the people who are making this show towards the source material and that they will end it the way that it needs to go so i i'm not going to speculate as to whether they'll do that that was also the the show thing um 
so that they never did it in the films. I think even with a lot of the same creative people, they were like, okay, this, that's a visual touchstone to that. Do we do it? Or, you know, plus film is different. And this has so very often been referenced as the film we never got the, the final outing for this group. And they stretched across 10 parts instead of just the one, which would be two, two hours and 15 minutes. Pete, to the email inbox we go and uh, we start hearing from Stacy, who says, Hi, Matt and Pete. It's been so long. I've been enjoying your coverage of the Indiana Jones movies and the replays of your Star Wars coverage, but I'm super excited to have Picard talk about again. I loved Laris teasing Picard about spring cleaning. They've clearly been building their relationship since the end of season two, and I like to see it. And I appreciate that Laris isn't threatened by Beverly, even mentioning that she and Jean-Luc had tried to be lovers. Lovers. She tells him he had to go, uh, has to go. He has to help. I sure would have liked their goodbye kiss to have been more than a peck, though. My, Stacy. Uh, Jean-Luc's frustration with the computer not being able to help him locate the emerging comm badge, then interrupting it when it got too basic and its explanation was amusing. Computers will never not be annoying in their inability to help. Phew, these first scenes of Raffi had me worried. I thought she really had started using again. But just before they revealed she's undercover, it started to feel hinky to me. I do appreciate that they recognized how hard this would be for Raffi, being surrounded by this world, pretending to be addicted to the things she worked hard to get cleaned from and her witnessing the attack near the end of the episode. Phew, again, I'm thinking I'm going to be worried about her all season. Seven of nine. I'm so glad to see her, though this assignment doesn't seem uh, a very good fit for her. I hope she gets better by the end of the season, though I did enjoy that amazingly uncomfortable scene where Captain Shaw roasts Riker and Picard over dinner. It was also well done. Made me squirm the whole time. I love that Seven calls Picard and Riker out on their terrible ruse and decides to help them because it's the right thing to do. Starfleet be darned. There were so many little moments meant for those who have a history with these characters. The Titan-leaving space dock was one of my favorites. And those end credits. And with seasons one and two, I am all in for this season. Uh, Pardon me. As with seasons one and two, I'm all in for this season. I cannot wait to see what's coming. And as always, I look forward to your thoughts. Pete, that from Stacy, a.k.a. Stingray, a.k.a. TrekGirl88 on Twitter. Always makes great points here. Yeah, I mean, the stuff with Raffi and, you know, we care about her character. We're concerned that she's seemingly constantly entwined in these conspiratorial doings and, you know, the cost that it's had on her. Um, And let's just hope that by the end of this season or by the character's journey, I mean, it'd be an easy choice to include her in a spinoff with uh seven uh on the titan or elsewhere uh that she just find happiness uh pete now we have uh, the aforementioned email from jt adkins uh who does reference that he had posted a long twitter thread which i want to genuinely say at least the way i'm looking at twitter i didn't fully see so i think that there Look, are people who work at Twitter that can't see everything on Twitter. But, hey, let's promote one tweet over another because somebody bought the thing for an outrageous expenditure. So let me say in all seriousness, how about if you have longer and or most amazing thoughts, 
and you're not hearing and, and we're not reading them it's not because we you know we never skip over anybody's comments yeah, no we on do purpose. everything to look for that if, if you have the one tweet thing where you're like oh my goodness i figured out who the handler is you know might want to send that via email um just, just to, to make double sure. up and be sure yeah, yeah because unless you're a fool who's paying for twitter and please don't pay for twitter um yeah, you know, you're you're not going to get the endless characters to be able to do that. So here here are JT's thoughts. What a great episode. I'm glad to be watching uh, Trek with my fantastic geek friend, interacting with my fantastic geek friends. That tweet we got. First of all, let's dream a little. The Next Generation Legacy video that Paramount Plus released a few days uh, before the premiere focused very much on the big seven characters with an understanding smattery of, uh, smattering uh, of lore and Moriarty. But Ro Laren and Tasha Yar were both prominently in there briefly. If Ro Laren shows up and is a fleet admiral, watch out, you Battlestar <laughs> Galactica music. Well done. Standing desk. Boom. <laughs> Come uh, here, Shaw. <laughs> this first episode was a joy. Sure, we had some nostalgia, and why not? There's an undeniable trip down memory lane, lane element here, but it is so much better than mere nostalgia. Will Jean-Luc, Seven, and Rafi have organically reached this moment? I'm looking forward to where it's headed. I think the show deftly balances its legacy as well as its future. Now a significant aside, I love some of the musical quotes in this episode, especially surrounding the Titan in Space Dock. As Riker and Picard approach the Titan, there was some clear quoting of the Space Dock fly around from the motion picture. When Seven begins the departure from Space Dock, uh, the Wrath of Khan's Take Her Out, Mr. Savick, is beautifully quoted. Followed soon thereafter with a riff from the Rathacon Genesis countdown music, then capped off as they warp away with the end of the motion pictures space dock fly around. Bonus points for the Mutara Nebula riff when Riker and Picard's shuttle leaves the ship. It's like this composer so gets the soundtrack nerds like me. Thanks uh, at composer Barton. And the rest of the soundtrack was spectacular too, not just the quotes. Back to the episode when Picard's combat starts chirping. Uh, neither he nor his Trek, uh, Trek Lexa... <laughs> Well done. Can locate it. That's entirely I'm accurate. I'm going to name mine that now. <laughs> there you go. Um, JT says, my phone chirps with that sound when my daughter texts me. And if my phone nice. is tucked away at that moment, I can't find it either. Uh, yeah. <laughs> JT, awesome. I need to make some changes to my phone when we're done yes. podcasting here. Everything is on spot here. The Next Generation crew on the Titan seems to recognize that their captain is a jerk, that their first officer is awesome. I predict death by regulation for Captain <laughs> Shaw and the immediate refield uh, commissioning of Captain of Nine. Can't wait for next week. Pete, that from JTA on Twitter, JT Adkins. Neither can we. With that, Pete, he's back. Not just Picard, I'm talking about Admiral Fred from the Netherlands, whose communique we listen to now. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 1. Good to be back at Fantastic Geek. In the meanwhile, I'm giving feedback for two other podcasts. One is for a series called The Last of Us podcast by Solar Talk Media, Mark Decote. Great series based on a video game. And although it's post-apocalyptic and with the kind of zombies, I really like it. Within the lead, Pedro Pascal, nobody else than The Mandalorian, of which you will start your podcast soon. And the other podcast is, as always, Sci-Fi TV Rewatch by Dave and Wayne. And there we do a rewatch of the second season of Fringe, which is great. 
Okay, I watched this episode of Picard and the Ready Room with Will Whedon, a after show with, in this case, an interview with Gates McFadden, so Beverly Crusher, and Patrick Stewart, Captain Picard, and with the showrunner. I really recommend this very nice background information. Okay, let's start with the elephant in the room, meaning Beverly's son. There is no name for him, but if you look on IMDb, spoiler warning, he is called... (laughs) No cat, not that. He is called Jack Crusher. Okay, stopped my recording and threw the cat out. And that really puzzles me, that Jack Crusher. Because Picard says he didn't see Beverly for 20 years. So first nitpick is actually, is this guy 20 years? Or is he actually older and was this son being hidden in the last period that Beverly and Picard had contact? If you look up the actor, he is 34 or 35. First I thought he is playing an older version of Wesley Crusher. But on the other hand, in this series we saw an older Wesley Crusher. Because Will Wheaton played him himself. If you then, spoiler alert, watch the ready room. Will Wheaton is talking about his half-brother or something like that. And I think that's very strange that Beverly called her son from another guy than Jack Crusher, which is Wesley's father, who died at an away mission on the Stargazer, where actually Jean-Luc was his commander. So Jean-Luc always felt a bit guilty about the death of Jack Crusher, and that was one of the reasons he also didn't want to go in any relation with Beverly as a kind of betrayal towards his old friend, although his old friend was dead. So if this is a half-brother, and from another guy, Beverly still called him Jack. If you look on Memory Alpha, you can find that Picard brought... Jack's body back to Wesley and Beverly. So did this scientific doctor took some DNA from Jack and then just many years later she impregnated herself with the half of the DNA of Jack and made a new kid and that is why she went into obscurity. And in that case it's not Wesley's half-brother but full-brother. Okay, sorry guys, this is just a geneticist at work. Um, I will leave all the other feedback for later, uh, perhaps next time. Uh, Great episode, I would give it uh, a minus, or I think even a straight A and a 9 on IMDb. Really enjoying this as well as my wife did. Or are we, last thought, looking at a son of Picard? Of course, everybody thinks that, and then we get a déjà vu with Kirk and the scientific doctor, and Kirk also had a son, so that is an option. But I don't think the story will go there. But of course, everybody thinks that. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, so appreciative to hear from Fred. I feel like we've been wandering the desert without him, and here he is to add some some perspective and some thought and some heart. So thanks, as always, to you, Fred. Yes, missed Fred's contributions, uh, and glad to hear he's remained in the podcast game there. We're loving The Last of Us. People had asked if we would do it. 
just weren't able to make it work with the schedule. Pete, helping make us work, make our podcast go in the best pack-led style are those who support us on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek and our thanks each and every week to them for helping keep us listener-supported. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to choose from, but it takes just a dollar a month to get you in that door. Can't contribute right now? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating or a review in a short while helps us just as much. Pete, let's certainly keep the Star Trek Picard conversation going. Nine episodes to go, so plenty of room for analyzing and theorizing and conversations. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter, assuming it all doesn't become unglued in the next week? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,752 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter, it's looking back lost. Do me touch the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are fantasticgeek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash fantasticgeek, all one word with the P and the H, like it today. I'll just highlight again, Pete, there also is the listener line, 732-707-1815, where you can uh, text or leave a voicemail. Uh, it'll always go straight to voicemail. And uh, looking forward to keep those conversations going there. And Pete, as mentioned at the top of the podcast, looking forward to doing one more Mandalorian Season 3 preview next Star Wars Saturday. Of course, back in one week's time for the next Star Trek Sunday as we talk Picard Episode 302 or Part 2 of Season 3. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Thank you for the parting punctuation. Punctuation.